like that smooth jazz gets louder and louder every time, doesn't it? I mean, goddamn. But What's not, up, everybody? Not as, loud, not as loud as your voice that on the Lost episode. I, oh, my God, the Lost episode where I sounded like I was just screaming. That was so bad. I, I'm going to be mad about that forever. Welcome back to Off the Bench, everybody. I hope you guys had a good week. Hope you enjoyed the home run derby that we, uh, you know, I didn't. talked about talked about the importance of last <laughs> week. Uh, so for those of you that don't know or didn't tune in last week, uh, the home run derby determined Pat and I's main fantasy league's uh, draft order priority. A uh, little confusing, but basically if you got, if you did the best in the home run derby, you can choose your draft slot first. You don't necessarily need to take the number one pick, but that's how we do things. That's how we've it's always ha- done them. It's happened and, before. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had the and, first uh, pick once. I had third priority, and I had the first pick. Right. Yeah. Some people just some people don't want the pressure of number one man, and yeah. in a twelve teamer as well. Like by the time you get around to your second pick, if there's somebody, if there's nobody you're in love with at pick number one, I totally understand. I mean, that's why we've done it this way for years. Is we're like we don't want somebody who did the best at whatever way we determine draft order to feel like they got screwed because they don't want number one pick. We're like, all right, you win, you get to choose where you go. Yeah. Uh, speaking of. I did okay. Uh, I ended up finishing 6th out of 12. Uh, my boy Randy Rosarena showed out for me. Pat, guy, guy I kind of hyped up in uh, our last episode. I was like, he just feels like the energy guy of the Derby. Honestly, after the first round, I thought he was completely cooked. I thought he was going to get rocked by Luis Robert after watching how yeah. effortlessly he was uh, you know, putting those balls out. I mean, Adley Rutschman, I thought, was going to have the best round of the first round. Then Luis just says, hey, you're not getting out of the first round. And then Julio did. And then Julio, Julio said, fuck no to both of them. So I, I was honestly shocked that Randy beat uh, Robert in the second round. But that's what ended up getting me the sixth pick. Otherwise, I had Pete winning the whole thing. Uh, my picks, just to go off the top of my head, I had Randy in the first Randy, Pete, uh, God, what the, what else was it? The Vlad matchup? Vlad, yep, I had Vlad, and then I got the other one right, because Pete was the only one I got wrong in the first round. I'm just forgetting what the stupid matchups were. Either way, did you have Rob, well. Robert or Rutschman? Or? I had Robert over Rutschman, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, whatever. Did yeah. well, put it that way. Did fairly well. Well uh, enough. Yeah, ended up with six. Pat, you did not fare no. so well. No, uh, my finals were uh, were I had Alonzo beating Adelise Garcia, and and like Brandon said about Rosarena, I felt like Garcia was like the underrated energy guy of the home yeah. runner because like he's got to be one of the more underrated players in the whole league. What I believe two Definitely. two All Star appearances now in the last three years up there in the league in ribbies, but he can just do it all, man. And I'm just like, you know, this is his kind of coming out party. This is where people are going to be like, yeah, Adelise Garcia, what a guy. Mm-hmm. So I had that, but I got the, you know, so they both got bounced in the first, but I did get a point from Robert and uh, Vlad. So yes. I ended up going nine out of 12, which I was baffled. Like I thought I was guaranteed 12th. Like I, I'm like, yeah. there's no way anyone could have done worse than me. I didn't like check the math to see how it happened. But, mm-hmm. but as we were talking about right before we got on air, it's a good year to be towards the end i would argue yeah i think we talked about it last week about how you know neither of us were really going to be too upset if we didn't end up with near the top of the priority or top of the draft because this year it's like there are guys it feels like more of a kind of a mishmash of guys at the top there's not a clear-cut first round pick i mean in ppr leagues it seems like you know most people have settled on justin jefferson as being the guy and And rightfully so yeah, of course. And in terms of running backs, you've got Christian McCaffrey leading the way, which, again, not a surprise as long as that guy's healthy and in the 49ers run scheme. Uh, regardless of the fact that some of the rushing volume may take a dip if Elijah Mitchell stays healthy, he's still such an electric player and a great offense that it makes a ton of sense. But I think this year there's so many good players that you can get at the back end of the first round and kind of get you know a nice little pairing that 
it's not necessarily worth it to get a guy who's just marginally better at pick one, two, or three than the guys available at six, seven, eight, nine, um, and then have to wait so long for that second round uh, yeah. pick. So this was a year that you know I'm sitting here with the sixth choice of draft priority, assuming that the guys ahead of me pick somewhat logically of, of one through five, assuming it goes like sort of chalky. Um, I'm, I don't I'm think not it's going to happen. It probably I don't think it's gonna it might happen. not. I'll be curious to see if other people in our league are thinking the same way, where it's like there's so much value to be had like, with a mid to late pick. I have ninth priority, and I wouldn't be shocked if I had a top five pick. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's the part of me that, like, that's always been my strategy is just like, go as high as you can. Go as that's, high as you that's can. That's been mine as well. Or, like, if I'm towards the end, like, take 12. Take yeah. 12 and get that back to back. But I'm in a position where it's like, I have no idea. I, I you know, the guys before me are going to dictate where I go going to dictate yeah. where I go because like I was saying we've mentioned it's our weekly mention that we are a non-PPR league 13 yep. year running league and we are stuck in whatever year 13 years ago was 2010 we are stuck yep. there we just we got are. decimal points this year woo thank god we but, don't, um, our final scores won't be 87 to 86 anymore it's yeah so um but yeah, so running backs are still going to get prioritized, even though you look at these PP, you know, you look at this, some of this underdog stuff, you see Jefferson, you see Chase, Cup, McCaffrey, Kelsey's really high. I think running backs are going to fly at the beginning. So like if you're picking seven, eight, nine, you can get really good value from wide receiver. You could get Travis Kelsey, you could get, right. and there will still be some running backs there, assuming, you know, some of the wide receivers go. So like, I feel like you can win anywhere in the draft, even if you're at one or two, you can still get it. But it's just yeah. like, I have no idea. And our guys like to take their time. You know, what did, what did our – he said he would make his first priority pick by the 24th. No, I think he said within 24 hours. That was what Finn oh, said. Oh, 24 hours? Oh, I yeah, thought I thought was... he meant July 24th. I'm no, like, no, what no. The fuck? He said with, within 24 hours was uh, the person who won our home run derby bracket. He got literally one pick wrong, uh, which was crazy. And he said, yeah, within 24 hours. And that was at the behest of – I was like – we need to make this priority order, you know, get get the actual draft order out there quickly because this is the latest we've determined draft order yes. in a long time. I mean, we've done things like March Madness. We've done things like the Spelling Bee, like both of which I, I don't I know did a rod. Bee, to be honest. But all that stuff typically happens months before this did. I'm like, guys, we are, I think as of today, Pat, we're like 54 days away from the draft. I think I saw, I think like, I saw that today. Yeah. Having, having a good, um, you know, month to mock from your spot is typically what we've aimed for at least. And I'm like, we got to get this you know chop chop here but, so uh, you know we'll like i said the way through. i've seen it is like i'm prepared for everything like especially with the yeah. number of leagues i'm going to be in is that i'm sure i'm going to be picking from literally 1 through 12 so it's like you got to yeah. know who you like and who you don't like regardless of yeah with uh, with us being non ppr and it being so running back focused and honestly pat non ppr is just so touchdown focused um getting yeah. those running backs who are going to have the most opportunities for those is very very key uh, i've mentioned it on a prior show but in in non ppr the top five overall scorers not quarterbacks obviously top five overall scorers were still running backs there's no sight of jefferson no sight of any any receivers or or even kelsey in standard leagues um in the top five overall scorers so running backs are important i just want to get to a point where i can get two guys guys uh be it you know saquon and tony pollard who you love or, or saquon and, and ramondre stevenson that's my some wet dream combo there I, saquon I and pollard yeah some combination of, of those two guys um in the first two rounds i think would be huge because once you get beyond that let's say i take pick six pat and, and knowing how running backs fly off the board i i could get sure i don't know nick chubb or something at number six by the time it comes back around to me i'm probably going to be picking between 
Brees Hall, Najee Harris, Jameer Gibbs, if I want a running back at that yeah. point. And yes, I, I'm sure I could take a good receiver who ended up falling through the cracks or whatever, but then I'm, I'm going to be risking. I'm going to do the same thing I did last year where, guys, I don't know if you've heard, I ended up with Chase Edmonds as my RB2 last year because I kept getting poached. So I don't want that to happen again. Yeah, you you punted um, RB a little too hard. I, I really, Pat, the way the board fell, I had no choice because mm. the guys that I kept wanting to take, yeah. uh, they just got taken several picks before me. I mean, I wanted to take Ramondre Stevenson last year in, I want to say it was the fourth round and he got taken. I wanted to, wanted to take AJ Dillon, who didn't have a very good second half of the year anyway. I would know I traded you for him, but mm. he was a guy who I wanted and had a good start to the year and he got poached for me as well. So I, I was just... Yeah, by you. It just happened to fall that way. Um, I need to look. There's also a, an element of chance to that happening as well. I've never been poached that badly in my life, mm. and I've picked from all over the board in our years in the league. So there's an element of chance as well, but there's also me trying to reduce that randomness. So we will see how that ends up uh, yeah. playing out this year. And I also said to Brand before we got on air is that this is the closest I've ever been to going zero running back. And I think that there are this is a, a better year than in the past to do it. And I think we'll talk about some guys today, even that are solid guys to target. If you're not taking running backs until round, you know, that dead zone rounds five and six. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later though. You got to let the board come to you. That's kind of number one yeah, rule of fantasy. Of don't, don't force things. I mean, look, if you have a guy or two that you desperately want, yes, reach for them, whatever do what you got to do but in general do not just go with the flow of the draft if you feel like there is value to be had elsewhere which leads us right in pat to my scott fishbowl draft that i have thus far for those of you that never heard of scott fishbowl it is a basically a giant um charity fantasy tournament where scott fish uh, a very popular man on, on twitter in the fantasy community uh creates a bunch of different 12 team leagues and then uh just for you know fantasy influencers, creators, and then also plenty of fans. Whoever wins each of those leagues will then compete against each other to create a champion, but it's all for charity, more or less. Superflex League and Pat, you know, going against the grain is kind of what I had to do in that league. Uh It's a league where because it's Superflex, lots of quarterbacks are coming off the board early, right? So I'm sitting there at the, the 108, and before me, it was one, two, three, four, five, six quarterbacks, and Travis Kelsey got picked. Uh, no running backs, no receivers. I said, okay, I'm not going to take Justin Herbert. I'm not going to take Trevor Lawrence. I took Justin Jefferson. I didn't end up getting a quarterback till the fourth round. But this team overall, Pat, you tell me how it sounds. I think it sounds pretty good. Justin Jefferson with the first pick, Saquon, Amon Ross St. Brown, Aaron Rodgers, Chris Olave, Dallas Goddard, and DeAndre Swift. So I did cave in the fourth round to get Aaron Rodgers to get a quarterback on the squad. Uh, you know, I could have, I thought about waiting and just going with the, the sort of sleeper quarterbacks and guys just to fill the position like the Kenny Pickett's, the Mac Joneses, yeah. just to get, you know, yeah, they may get me 12 or 13 or 14 points only on a given week, but my other positions are going to be so stacked. Rodgers was a guy I considered in the third, so when I saw him in there in the fourth, I said, screw it, let's get somebody, you know, a little higher upside at that I was going to say, Rodgers is a guy where he's got a solid floor and the solid ceiling and obviously right. established. Like, we've seen him do it before, and yeah. while I don't think he's going to be a guy you're starting every week in, like, a regular redraft league, if you really punt the position the way you did, that was probably a safe way to go. Yeah. But but again, you're 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 loaded elsewhere. You know, getting right the number one PPR non quarterback is you know, and then Saquon a top five running back, and St. Brown who's a PPR darling. Like that's like that's about as solid as you can get in that situation in the situation you put yourself in. Yeah, and I'm excited with this team construction. Look, last year was my first year in the Scott Fish Bowl, uh, and my first two picks were Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts, who, as you can imagine, Ooh. in the Superflex League, yeah, they backpacked me. Sheesh. The problem was 
my other positions did not work out very well. Javante Williams tore his ACL. Um, I think I had Kyle Pitts in that league as well. What a shock. <laughs> and then just my other receivers and running backs ended up underperforming or getting hurt. Um, I think I actually, no, I had Saquon in that league, so he was good as well. But then I had Ezekiel Elliott who fell off. I, I just know that by the end of the year, I was starting Latavius Murray. So look, this was not my intention oh to go into, <laughs> this was not my intention to go into this league this year um, and say I'm avoiding the quarterbacks, but I am excited to see how it plays out as a tr- as a transition from last year as juxtaposition yeah. you know, to see what a, what a totally different team makeup is. And hey, am I crazy? Did I you know avoid quarterbacks when I shouldn't have? Or me zigging while they zagged, is that going to work out? We will see. But I, I will say this, I love the names on the squad. Like, I can't really fault myself too much. Um, Pat, we talked about the home run derby to start out, and I wanted to just talk about another little baseball headline here because it's very funny and very personal to me. You guys may have seen, or maybe not, because it's kind of a minor headline. Look, a hitting coach getting fired isn't any sort of breaking news, but the Yankees have finally fired their hitting coach, bringing in a new one, and the reasoning is the only reason I'm talking about this. So, Anthony Volpe, highly touted uh, shortstop prospect, ended up making the opening day roster. I, along with every other Yankee fan, very, very excited about Rejoice. that development. Exactly. Like the Yankees don't tend to give young guys, you know, an opportunity as early as they should most of the time. So to see him get the call as the opening day shortstop, we were all very excited. He ended up, you know, kind of sputtering along to start the year. He was stealing a bunch of bases, which was nice. But other than that, it was just home run here, home run there, hitting like barely 200. It was, it was not a good scene. So everyone's like, you know, it can, it can he just not adjust to the majors? Anthony Volpe goes and has a, uh, a chicken parm dinner with former minor league teammate Austin Wells, and uh, they look at his swing together, you know, to try to figure out what, what's going on. And they see that, you know, the things that the Yankees hitting coach has changed are, are basically the root of the issue. And so Volpe says, all right, we've, we've dug into the tape here. Let's try out my, my old swing in the minors when I was hitting well. Pat, believe it or not, the way he was swinging in the minors when he was a good hitter that got him the opening day job as the Yankee shortstop... Uh, that's the thing that he should have been doing the entire time. And so the Yankees hitting coach got fired because he did not have the thought process to be like, you know, this guy used to hit well. I should go look at the video of why he used to hit well and then tell him to do that. Somehow that was a thought process that just went way over the head of the Yankees hitting coach. And so they said to bring in a new one. I just... The chicken parm incident of 2023 will not be forgotten. Uh, I, I saw a picture last night where it was like Yankees new Yankees new uh, hitting coach, and it was you know like a stock Yankee thing with a chicken parm with a Yankee hat on. So that <laughs> first time, first time in 25 years they've made an in-season coaching change of any kind, that, which is how remarkable. You know just bad. shows how stuck in their ways this this franchise truly is. And you know, I, I it's Sean Casey, Sean Casey. They got a name for uh, mm-hmm. for the new hitting coach, but. Tough, tough, tough look. You know, you got to bring stuff out of Josh Donaldson and Isaiah kind of for Leffa and stuff like that. Like, at the same time, though, bye get bye. it, get him out of here. It's like, look, the Volpe thing. I think was kind of just the cherry on top and the uh, the the way to fire him with cause, more or less. If there wasn't enough reason already, with so many guys underperforming, like every Yankees hitter in the lineup 
other than Aaron Judge, who's not in the lineup right now. But yeah. every single Yankees hitter is having a down year hitting-wise. And it's hey, like, hey, hey, Billy McKinney's been pretty good. Oh, my God. Billy McKinney. Yeah, and Jake Bowers. I don't know what their actual numbers are. I just know those are the two names I've seen arguably the most this year, more than John Carlos Stanton and Anthony Rizzo, if that tells you anything. So, yeah, a lot of the Yankees players are just underperforming. Josh Donaldson's hitting like 150. He just happens to run ass backwards into a homer every once in a while, and apparently that keeps him in the lineup. I don't know. It, it's been tough to watch the Yankees. Uh, I don't know if you guys listening know I am a Yankee fan, but it's like baseball's also kind of lower on the depth chart of my favorite sports at this point, mainly because, uh, you know, they're just not very fun to watch. They are coming here to Colorado soon, though. They're coming this weekend. Oh, so you got you to gotta go to that. I know. It, it's funny. Tickets are actually kind of expensive because the Yankees, woohoo, name brand, and it's a weekend yeah. series. But I'm like, man, it's the first time I've had to actually pay real money for a Rockies ticket. I was going to say, you got to get you gotta get out to one when, you know, when <laughs> know. you've got that kind of... I'm but curious yeah, to yeah, see what the pitching matchups are, and then I'll then I'll decide. And it's just even more frustrating because they're they're a playoff team right now. Like they they are firmly in the mix. Like I would rather them just suck. Like, but right. yeah, uh, not a good time. Not a good no. time to be a Yankees fan, despite them still being decent, which is. Like I said, even more frustrating. They're just very mid. Hopefully, Carlos Rodon, you know, finally entering the mix and pitching decently can uh, change things. Hey, at least we have Domingo Herman's perfect game. I feel like that's going to be the most random perfect game in MLB history when it's all said. No done. way. Philip like, well, Umber. Philip Umber, Umber will you're right. Oh, like, Philip Umber right, was genuinely bad in the yeah, rest of his career. Like, Herman was like a steady guy who's going to end up pitching in the majors for close to 10 years. That's true. He's just having a down year, and, and it felt like it was out of nowhere because the be honest, of the Yankees' season so bad. And I'll be honest, it would have been Armando Galarraga because he was also just flat-out bad. So I honestly, I think it's almost better that he didn't get the perfect game in terms of recognition because he would have easily faded into history. But now everyone will always remember Armando the Galarraga. The guy that got screwed, absolutely. But Domingo Herman did finish the job. It just it feels like a fever dream at this point because the season has just been so uninspiring and unspectacular for the Yankees. It just also happens to have, what, the 26th perfect game ever? Six, seven, Some mid-20s. Like, one of the only perfect games in the long-ass history of this ancient sport. So it's just Over a decade as well. uh, Yeah. Since the last one, 2012. Yeah, that that surprised me, too, because I know we've seen no-hitters every year. I did not realize that Felix was the last one. Yeah, there's been so many no-hitters that you kind of just, like, assume that, like, there was one. But I was like, oh, who did I think threw a perfect game within that time? And I'm like, I didn't. I just kind of just... I remember watching the Felix one getting home. I, I remember like that vividly out. as well. It was crazy. I also remember just being a, a young buck when that happened, a young, yeah. you know, cl- clean-shaven toddler boy. Um, all right, baseball to basketball, Pat. Victor Wembanyama made his long-awaited summer league debut. Victor Wembanyama had maybe the funniest start to an NBA <laughs> career ever because this dude gets drafted and the first thing we hear from him after the fact is that one of his security guards backhanded Britney Spears. And it's like, welcome to America, my man. I don't know how else to welcome you to the media circus that is this country than that. Like Britney Spears making headlines for the first time in God, I don't know how long because she has a few years at least. Yeah. Like I feel like since she made toxic the song, like (laughs) she's just, she comes out of nowhere to be in headlines with Victor Wembanyama. It's just wild to me. And then she's like, Oh, I'm still a big fan. I'm like, yeah, Britain. I don't really care. Um, the funniest part was that he just didn't know who she was. Like I get, he's like 18 and from France, but like (laughs) the fact that he just didn't know who Britney Spears was. And now, like, and now you've got like Britney Spears stan accounts on Twitter, like live tweeting these games, like preying on his downfall. Like there was one where he like basically like got fouled hard and fell down. They're like, oh my god, he fell down. It's like Victor is already (laughs) 
Like it's almost like good for basketball. You've got more eyes on basketball now, especially yeah. the summer league. Like, That's and there were gonna be, and there were gonna be eyes on the summer league anyway because we've got the best prospects since LeBron James playing. Right. And, this, and this, this is just added another wrinkle, which has also helped his um, I don't know. I would call it okay play. Yeah. In, in his first few games. The, the stands are crazy, man. I can't imagine if it was, like, a member of BTS who tried to, like, touch him and then they got back. Oh, 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 he, oh, God. Uh, he'd, but, he'd be in witness protection. But how uh, would yeah. you hide that guy? I, I don't know. But they're doing a good job of trying because they shut him down for the rest of Summer League. So we'll go over yeah. his first two games. He had a terrible debut that I feel like everybody just overreacted to. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I feel like... It was almost done in jest, all the people saying he was a bust, all this stuff. Of but course. then he didn't help his case after the game saying, like, I didn't really know what I was doing. I thought that was funny. I was like, that, that, if you had not said that, then we would have all just understood, like, oh, whatever, nerves. And then it's like that piles on. It's like, oh, is he actually bad? But we also know he's probably not. It was just very weird. The, the, there's definitely a lot of rust he needs to shake off. But I think at the same time, we're like, we're watching a potential top 10 defender all time. Like, yeah. This guy is that good of a defender because it's not like he's just tall. You know, you've got guys who have been like, you know, Taco Fall who are just tall and terrible. But this guy is like athletic. He's quick. He's got good instincts. I think he just needs to, you know, get the ball out of his hands a little more. You know, like he Mm -hmm. loves to dribble. He loves to put it through the legs and all that shit. And but I do think he's going to benefit better from NBA spacing. Like these guys that are actually, you know, firmly in the NBA, that's what they know how to do is space. These kids in the summer league are all just kind of trying to score the ball just so i i do think he will honestly benefit more from regular season action yeah i'm not worried absolutely i'm not worried about him no i'm not worried either i mean he followed up that terrible debut with a 27 and 12 game on like 9 of 13 shooting to be like yeah this is this is who i am uh i know it's summer league but the numbers will be there i'm not worried about victor Wembanyama. he's probably going to be runaway rookie of the year unless chet holmgren has something to say about it it's freaking also, fellow lanky man, both noodle-looking dudes. Um, it'll be a, it'll be a race between those two at the very least. And uh, yeah, I'm just not worried about Victor. I just think it's a very funny way to start at his career. Interesting that they're shutting him down for the rest of summer league because I don't know what the reasoning. Is. I mean, maybe you just have seen enough and you don't see yeah. a reason to risk injury anymore. Because I mean, Chet Holmgren, as we know, we just mentioned him. But it wasn't summer league, but you can get injured in these games. Prior to the actual start of the season, they want to make sure they have this guy. If they don't, there will be just no ticket sales in San Antonio. So, and that team will not stand a motherfucking chance. I mean, they so. still they they won't stand a chance even with him. They will still not. Yeah, be a, yeah. I still think they're going to be a lottery team. Relatively that's high. That's fair, but it'll good. at least be a team that you have to think twice about when you play, rather than yeah. just being like, "Oh, we have to go up against uh, Trey Jones." Uh, like who else, no, they, they, see I like what they're doing even outside him I like what they're doing they eventually yeah. they're just gonna need to they're gonna just need to attract a, a higher leverage free agent which San Antonio has never done well like LaMarcus Aldridge DeMar DeRozan well that wasn't a free agent but like mm. it's they never do well externally but I think that's finally gonna be the final piece within the next few years is they're gonna need to bring someone in to really be the glue guy LeBron and Bronny to San Antonio. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) All right, let's get into our bread and butter here with football. Pat, this came out just a few short hours ago about Alvin Kamara. So Alvin Kamara has pleaded guilty to a lesser misdemeanor to get off of the larger, more expansive charge that he would have had. 
Felony charge felony. for assault, which is not a uh, a good look for anybody, let alone a player who's going to be or expected to be, you know, the face of one of the teams in the NFL, which I think he probably still is as far as the Saints are concerned. So Kamara is uh, pleading guilty to a lesser charge. What do you think this means, Pat? Because you you alerted me to this actually happening. Um, so what, what do you think this says about Kamara and his future this season? Well, I, I think, you know, it, it's important. Like uh, ESPN Saints reporter Mike Triplett, you know, he tweeted, he goes, you know, the league has suspended guys who had no charges like Ben Roethlisberger the famous Ben Raplisberger you know he got suspended four games when was never charged let alone convicted so he I think he will get suspended but I would give it four games tops yeah it wouldn't even shock me if it were two but I think the most significant thing about this is that it is now going to happen because the talk again this year was the same thing as last year where it was like oh these legal things take forever you know he may not get suspended at all this year but now that this is coming down, he will be like he if they're going to suspend him, I should say it is going to happen to start this year. So like the uncertainty is over. But now the uncertainty begins. Obviously, there'll be a little more clarity when we know. But what do you do with this seemingly three headed monster of a backfield in terms of fantasy? It is weird because I think with this sort of suspension pending and not knowing much about the situation, I've kind of just had Kamara out of my mind. But now it's like. Once we do find out about the suspension, and if it is a lower number of games, if, if, if it's four games or two games or, or whatever it may be, um, you look at the guys that he's ranked around in fantasy football, and he he sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like if we get anything – and look, the, the prime Alvin Kamara days are, are over. I think we all understand this. But if you get even – 60% of what he was at, in his peak. If he's healthy this year, like he is in massive value where he's sitting, but the running backs that they do have now, it's very, it's a tough decision to make because they brought in Jamal Williams, who is just a, the ultimate touchdown vulture, as we've seen last year. Oh, I mean, I'm God. sure that's specifically what they brought him in to do. Um, they drafted Kendry Miller, as you said, with, I believe, what, third round draft I think capital? So. I think reasonable, so. Reasonable capital. Reasonably high to where you expect him to have somewhat of a role if he shows he can handle it. And then Taysom Hill still exists. I mean, that dude was basically a running back for part of last year. So it's very, very confusing to me. Kamara is only worth it right now. Let's assume, let's assume for the sake of argument, it's as minimal as it could be in its two games. I'm still really only interested in him from a PPR point of view um, because, you know, like I said, I think those touchdowns are going to be kind of hard to come by. The the six touchdown Christmas game is uh, very far in the rearview mirror. Even the at this three point. touchdown game, like I think he, yeah. had, he had that three touchdown game against the Raiders. And besides that, like I owned a lot of Alvin Kamara last year, and it was frustrating. The dude was not very yeah. good, but like you said, there's still some shred of a formerly elite running back. But yeah, sim- similar thing. Like he's basically off my radar in terms of guys who are either going to be in your lineup or consider. So basically the top eight rounds, I don't want him. Mm-hmm. Whether he gets yeah. suspended or he doesn't. That said, I mean, he's an incredible flyer, you know, mm-hmm. in the in the Absolutely. second half of the draft if he's still there. Like you said, compared to some of these other guys where you're, you're still throwing darts at that point, but you're throwing a dart at a guy who has, has proven that, that what he can before. do. Yeah, yeah and, and he's not that far removed from it, and right. he's still in the same environment, same situation. So, like, you look at that, he is still easily worth a pick, but it's just I am not going to rely on him to be a lineup regular. Yeah, Alvin Kamara currently RB34 on based on underdog ADP. Uh, the guys he's directly behind are A.J. Dillon, Zach Charbonnet, Antonio Gibson, James Cook, and then he's just above Samaj P. Ryan, Brian Robinson, Rashad Penny. 
all part-time backs, uh, yeah. but no backs who have, like you said, reached the sort of mountaintop that Kamara has in the past. And yeah, you can look at him and say he's totally washed up if you want, but I think once this suspension gets sorted out, um, it's just an, it's an interesting question you have to ask yourself when you see him at the top of your draft board. Again, just sticks out like a sore thumb in terms of, of name value. So yeah. I don't know. I, I wouldn't blame you if you want to take a shot on him later in your draft. But Pat, he's in the NFC South, which we will talk about next week. For this week, we are going to be talking about the NFC West. Now, this is an interesting division for fantasy football because I think it has some real top-end talent. I mean, it has literally the RB1 um, and who else was I thinking of? Oh, and the wide receiver three. So, I mean, you've got guys at the very tippy top of their position. And then you've got entire teams who are just irrelevant. Yuck. And by teams, I mean the, the Cardinals. Cardinals. And then, I mean, honestly, even the Rams, even the Rams. the Rams. Yeah. Outside a of the Cup, Rams. there's not a ton to love, but there is other things to love more. So one, but I guess we'll talk about that. Right. So we'll start here with the San Francisco 49ers. So interesting quarterback situation from a fantasy perspective. Look, all arrows right now are pointing toward Brock Purdy being healthy and being the starter to open the year. So Trey Lance, again, can be off your fantasy radar as much as I hate to say it because I was a big Trey Lance truther heading into the start of last year. I thought he was going to be in kind of an, an Anthony Richardson tier of, you know, maybe not as good of a player, but he's got enough of a rushing upside to warrant, you know, having him as a as a quarterback on your fantasy team. We never even got to see if that would have come to pass or not because he played one game in the rain where everything was just neutralized and the game was terrible, complete oh, loss, God. and then he got hurt in the very next game. So, Kind of impossible to know, but for now you have to head into the season thinking that Brock Purdy is the only 49er quarterback with fantasy value. Uh, currently QB 24. I feel like that just firmly bakes in the the fall off that a lot of people are probably projecting for him, um, just because he kind of ended last year on an on an unrealistic pace. Uh, I think you know leading uh, that team to, to so many wins. And now it's just like, okay, other defenses are going to have more time to, to prepare for this guy who was literally Mr. Irrelevant and on nobody's radar for the longest time. So I, I'm not sure if Brock Purdy has a place in fantasy football. I mean, if you're in a, in a deep 14, 16 teamer, maybe you throw him on your bench as a QB too. But as, as Pat, you and I both, I don't think are really guys that draft backup quarterbacks. If you have a decent one as a starter, Brock Purdy... The upside's just not there for fantasy. Yeah, and the upside's not there. But we've seen in years past, even with guys as me as mediocre as Garoppolo, that 49ers quarterbacks are solid streamers. Like he, I think sure. he will be one of the guys on the front line of bye week or injury fill-ins. But in terms of standalone value on his own, without the context of comparison of other players, no. But I do think he is very important to the guys around him. While he may not be fantasy yeah. relevant, but like I think him and Lance is going to be a huge difference because with Lance, we don't know. We have right. nothing to base it off of. But with Purdy, we've got you know a good chunk of games last year where there were distinct trends. Yeah, I agree. And I am curious to see how he translates in the second year because – you know, with defenses having time to try, having some time to try and figure him out, um, you know, was last year just lightning in a bottle? I don't know. The ranking says yes for fantasy purposes, but again, as long as he can just steer that ship confidently, it's going to lead to fantasy points for the other guys. Um, one of those guys, Pat, being the overall RB1, a guy who has, I think, totally earned that spot, especially in PPR leagues, Christian McCaffrey. Shedding the injury-prone tag last year, which was nice to see, as I told anybody who would listen that he would hit both him and Saquon Barkley. Tried to tell everybody. I mean, those were guys that it, it, I was begging people to draft. I'm like, guys, they're oh, not injury-prone. Like, it's just been bad luck. So Christian McCaffrey shedding that tag. Now he is in 
probably the most efficient rushing attack in the entire NFL, and so rightfully is at the top of his position ranking. Um, the only note, and I think I mentioned this on the show before, but at the very least, I've tweeted it and put it in a video. The interesting part about this backfield is that when Elijah Mitchell is healthy, Christian McCaffrey does take a big, big hit in terms of the rushing workload. So in games where Elijah Mitchell was healthy last year, Christian McCaffrey averaged just 10 and a half carries per game. Uh, but the target floor was there. I believe he was around yep. six, seven, eight targets or something per game, several receptions. And he's going to be so efficient with those, you know, 10, 11, 12 carries per game as well that I'm really not worried about it. And again, in PPR leagues, still totally earns that top spot. But just something to keep in mind that if you are looking for a guy who's going to get 20 plus touches on a consistent basis, maybe it's not McCaffrey, but you are, again, just banking on the value of the touches he does get. Yeah, I, I don't, th- I, I honestly, I don't think it necessarily hurts McCaffrey more so. I think it just more so helps Elijah Mitchell's case. Absolutely. Is that I think this is going to be a legitimate backfield where there are two fantasy relevant running backs guys that you could start I mean Mitchell's going to be more on the the back end of it you know I mm-hmm. alluded to guys to take if you're going zero RB and I yeah. think Mitchell is you know the epitome of that you know we're talking about a guy who's going to get you know probably 10 touches which isn't great but in such an offense that flows so well and runs the ball so much even with McCaffrey like and you look at Mitchell too. He was very active in the red zone as well. He was a guy who was scoring touchdowns. He had, a, I believe, he had at least one two touchdown game. Mm. So I think we're looking at a situation. You know, looking back to some of the more like you know Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara. You know, some of these two headed monster backfields. You know, it won't be that evenly distributed. But even Elijah Mitchell, I think Elijah Mitchell is definitely a guy that you should draft and consider being you know a guy that you might have to start week one. Yeah, look, when you're in a league that is, I would say, 12 teams or deeper, um, you can find yourself desperately searching for a viable starting flex pretty quickly. And I think Elijah Mitchell is the kind of guy that you can get for very cheap in your draft, who is a guy you'll feel pretty good about putting him in your flex when you need to, because he's a guy that's maybe as likely to get a rushing touchdown in a given week as a lot of running backs are. So uh, a guy that I am firmly, firmly interested in at his current ADP, I mean, Elijah Mitchell is RB41. I think that's... Criminal. Uh, Let me pull up exactly who he's ranked around. Uh, So we've got Elijah Mitchell at 41. Above him, we've got Damian Harris, Devon A. Chain, Khalil Herbert. There's an argument for Herbert because I think the workload might be there for him. But these other guys who are like part-time backs and and maybe not very good backs. um, And and then behind him, you've got Jamal Williams, Jarek McKinnon, Jalen Warren. I like Mitchell as a bet. In a, in a really, really efficient rushing offense where I know he's going to get touches and I know he's going to get touching opportunities and a quarterback that is not going to vulture too many of them. Yeah. Um, I think he's a, he's a great value at RB41. ADP of 124th. So, I mean, you're so. getting him in the 10th round of a 12-team yeah. league. Oh, yeah, that's round. gold there. So that's yeah, I mean, and he's going straight on your bench, which is perfect. And the, and the other thing, too, is I think as we'll see in just a minute here is that this is another one of those offenses like we've talked about, like the Eagles in the past. You want a piece of this offense in fantasy-wise. And I think the same is said that there are three pass catchers that are legitimate starting options. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the pass catchers, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. I mean, I, I left off Jawan Jennings because just you don't really need oh. to extend it that far. He's had some good games, but it's just not really worth thinking about. Um Debo Samuel's a guy at wide receiver 18 that I find interesting. He's a really dynamic playmaker, but I do worry about people kind of chasing the dragon of that big season he had. And I understand if, you know, if people were really chasing it that hard, then he'd be a lot higher than wide receiver 18 because I think he was the wide receiver three that year. But 
I think right now, um, Brandon Ayuk is the best value in this receiving core to me. And absolutely, Ayuk's a guy who is such a weird trajectory. Oh, he's leaving me. Such a weird trajectory um, where, you know, Ayuk in his rookie year looked great. He he looked fantastic. Um, And he he was a guy that... um, that looked like he was going to be a piece of the future, and then you come to a second year where I have not seen a guy in the doghouse the way Brandon Ayuk was, you know, yeah, right. in, in year two. And then last year it was like, okay, he's out of the doghouse. It was slow to get there, but by the end of the year, he was a guy that you wanted in your lineup every week, and I think it's going to be the same way this year just because I think that he's got a little bit of a better floor. And like you said about Debo, I think people just kind of remember that one year, but he was basically a running back. And, you know, he may get zero carries this year. Not zero, but close to zero carries. Like, it is not going to be a meaningful part of his game and his value. So, value-wise, give me Brandon Ayuk over over Debo easily. Yeah, I mean, wide receiver 28 ranked around guys like Christian Kirk, DJ Moore, Chris Godwin. Uh, Deontay Johnson's interesting, but then... That's pretty good. Honestly, I I like all of those guys. Yeah, it's it's not a a bad tier of receivers, which, again, further cements uh, me wanting to go running back kind of early because I think the receiver talent is... is, There's a good amount of it pretty late. Brandon Ayuk maybe spearheading that. George Kittle, Pat, is a guy we honestly talked at length about. Honestly, I don't already. I was thinking about that. I don't remember how he came up last. I think we were like comparing Waller or like in we Star- comparing, Goddard. Yeah. We were comp- it was Dallas Goddard we were comparing George Kittle to because Goddard was more of the safe, whereas Kittle was more of the, the boom bust type of receiver. Um, and I think that's, look, nothing's changed since we had that conversation. Oh, I sure. Think Kittle is that guy. As tight end four, um, I get it. I mean, there's, there's Kelsey, Andrews, and Hawkinson with just extremely bankable week to week value as long as they're healthy. And then you get to guys who. It's more of a question mark. Kittle does not have bankable week to week volume, but he is as high upside of a tight end as I as think he can, can though. I think he can think get so? there. You you saw it with Purdy last year. Like he was the guy that benefited the most from Brock Purdy being under center. And again, it's gonna be a question of health, like it is with a lot of these 49ers. If he stays healthy, I think obviously Travis Kelsey's in a tier of his own, but I think this is a guy who can creep his way back into that second tier with Andrews, with Hawkinson and those guys. Um like I've I've kind of talked about it a lot where it's like I don't want to go high on tight end because I think you could get value later, but mm. Kittle is probably the highest guy that I am like seriously considering taking at this point. Kittle's a guy that I love rooting for, and I love the talent so much that it's like sometimes you have these players that are super talented, and eventually one of the years is just kind of their year, right? And maybe... Maybe it happens for George Kittle this year. I don't know. It's like with Stephon Diggs, I remember uh, the year he didn't score very many touchdowns, and then it was like, okay, you know, nobody's really thinking about Diggs. Then the touchdown regression kind of, you know, boosted him up a little bit. Okay, that was Diggs' year. These super talented players, sometimes it just takes a minute for this have to have the season where yeah. it all clicks and they're consistent and they're a guy that can carry your team. Maybe that's what Kittle is. I haven't seen enough to consider him that. He's not really on my draft radar, but he's a guy, again, I, I love the talent, so I understand if you wanna if you wanna go that route. Uh the Seattle Seahawks, Pat. I think Geno Smith has been one of the most talked about quarterback values. He still sits at QB fifteen. Do you still think he's uh kind of the 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 diamond in the rough here of this little tier of quarterbacks? I'm scared. I scared sc- Geno scares the hell out of me. And I'm, I'm starting to be with just, you. Just because, oh yeah, boo. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> no, Gino just scares me because, you know, this was this was a player who just did nothing in New York for a long time, and then was just a backup, and then kind of pops up out of nowhere mm-hmm. and plays really, I mean, he played great. Like, he was a pro bowler, great, one of the 
greater stories for a quarterback in the last few years. But I just am worried that he may not sustain it. Mm. Um, and like I said, I think it has a ripple effect on the whole team where it's like kind of making me scared of most of this because you look at Drew Locke as the other option where it's like super scary. But in terms of fantasy-wise, you're taking this guy as a QB2 in like a two-guy league. That's fine. I, again, we, we saw what he can do. We saw what the upside was, and that's all well and good, but I am just scared about the floor, which, as we know, is the center of the earth. Yeah, Geno's kind of the quarterback that it seems like all the sharps are, are saying is a good value, and it's a guy that, like, you know, you can ignore quarterback for a while and then take him late, but I'm... As of very recently, Pat, I'm starting to be scared of him as well. And it was so, some one guy just tweeted a thought on him. And I was like, man, I hate that you gave me that perspective. And he's like, you know, when a guy like Gino comes out of nowhere this late in his career, it's going to make defensive coordinators look really hard into what the hell happened and then try and find the answer. And it's like, obviously, you're it, every defensive you know coach is game planning for the other quarterback, but it's like Geno is a guy that they may take a little deeper dive into and be like, how, how? That this is the maybe the weirdest and most unexpected come up for a player at this age in NFL history. <laughs> like, and they're oh, they're going to try and find absurd. an answer. And I find it hard to believe that they won't find some sort of answer. I'm not a guy who's going to dive into the film and figure out what his weaknesses are and all that. I'll leave that to the experts. But I, I think they they may find something. And entrusting my entire QB room in fantasy to Geno Smith is just a dicey Yeah, see, the guys that are saying that you could ignore it and go with him, no, no, no way. Yeah, I would need another no. guy there with him. I would not confidently, like, you know, the other guys in that range, like Daniel Jones and my, my favorite quarterback ever, Kirk Cousins. Like, those are guys that I would rather give them the keys to my QB room than Geno Smith as yeah, the only guy, of course. You. I would agree with you. Uh, and like you said, ripple effect on the rest of the offense. The running backs are Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. Zach Charbonnet almost getting equal hype to Geno Smith at this point uh, with the people thinking that, you know, this running back room has room for two guys. The Seahawks have historically loved to run the ball. Kenneth Walker being not necessarily the most efficient guy last season. So there's just, you know, there's room for another guy to emerge. Zach Charbonnet is currently RB 32 on underdog. Kenneth Walker, RB 16. Where do you fall on these two guys, Pat? Who do you view as, I mean, I won't say the leader, obviously that's Kenneth Walker, but as the better value and the more likely guy that you will target. I still think the better value is Kenneth Walker. Like when they took Charbonnet, I think a lot of people were really scared, including me. I was just like, like, oh my God, like, what are they doing? Like they struck gold and now they're just going to muddy that up. Mm. But the, the further and further it's gone into the offseason, you know, you thought about it. Those weeks that Walker missed last year, like, what was it in that backfield? Tony Jones, and I'm forgetting who the other guy was. was I started DJ him. Dallas? No, DJ Dallas. Who, Travis Homer. Travis, Travis Homer was Homer, the guy that right. had a call. But, like, that's a disgusting backfield. It's bad. The more I think about it, they needed another body in there in case mm. he goes down. And, again, Walker's not the best pass catcher as well. I'm trying to see if he really even – yeah, he had a couple boom games where he caught like five or eight balls. But besides that, he, you know, this is a guy who's catching one to two balls a game. And he, and Charbonnet, that's more of his thing. So he's going to be a good compliment. But Walker is still a guy that I think is going to be a borderline RB1. Even when he wasn't scoring touchdowns last year, like his last three weeks were fantastic. What? Yeah, 26 for 107, 23 for 133, and 29 for 114. Obviously, the volume is crazy, and he mm -hmm. might lose 
a half dozen of those carries every week to Charbonnet, but we're still talking a 20-touch guy in a run-first offense. I I love Kenneth Walker. Yeah, I think Kenneth Walker is the kind of guy that you're, if you're trying to invest in him, you're almost happy that they drafted Charbonnet because it did muddy up the outlook, but not enough for it to actually affect him in a super meaningful way. Um, I think it's it's totally fine to draft Charbonnet as you're handcuffed to Kenneth Walker, but I'm kind of with you. It's not a situation where I'm worried about Charbonnet taking like a ton of carries away from Walker. Walker's yeah. a guy that they like, that they've invested in. I mean, the guy was an absolute beast at Michigan State. So I, I think when you look at him next to guys like Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones and J.K. Dobbins, it's like Walker has a lot more juice in his legs than most of those guys other yeah. than Dobbins and hasn't had, I don't believe, a serious injury like Dobbins has, unless I'm mistaken, from college. Um, so it's he's kind of you know, shining a little bit in that tier of guys, so I'm, I'm with you. Uh, Receiver-wise, we've got DK Metcalf, Jackson Smith, Najigba, and Tyler Lockett. Interestingly enough, JSN, wide receiver 32, with Tyler Lockett as wide receiver 33. That shocked the hell out of me. A little bit of a, another case of putting the, the cart before the horse here. Uh, you know... Jackson Smith Jigba is is a great great talent, and I think he's a great pick in dynasty. I think he's a good pick in best ball as well. Mm. But the fact that he's ahead of Tyler Lockett already is crazy. I think the what is it the, the quote where it's like the the rumors of his downfall his have been greatly, have been greatly exaggerated. exaggerated. Yeah, like he's thirty. Granted, he's thirty years old, but mm. one he has missed one game in his whole career. The guy stays on the field. And he's had three straight 1,000-yard seasons. And the one before, he was in the 900, so he was very close. So while it's not the, the sexiest kind of player, he produces. He produces in standard, he produces in PPR, and he's a, and he's a great deep threat. And he's not the kind of guy that's going to warrant the attention as a DK Metcalf. T- Tyler Lockett, you know, we're, we're going to talk about, spoiler alert, as you can see in the bottom corner if you're watching, we're going to talk about sleepers and undervalued guys. Mm-hmm. I think Tyler Lockett is one of the more undervalued guys in all of the league this year. This shocked me, but this coming from a tweet from Alex Caruso, who did the research on the matter. Tyler Lockett, who currently sits as wide receiver 33 on underdog, has been the wide receiver 17 or better for five straight years. And people are dropping him 16 spots because they drafted somebody. I understand JSN is considered really in his own tier of rookie receivers this year. It was like people were not in love with this rookie receiver class outside of JSN. And so wherever he goes, you're going to be worried, especially when one of the guys is aging. But I mean, I don't think that's worth dropping him quite that much. No. Um, I'm interested a little bit in both guys, but I think Lockett, yeah, you're right. Super, super crazy value for him because... Trying to predict when a guy's going to fall off is a dicey game when you really haven't seen it at all. And also, Pat, did you see that hilarious compilation of Tyler Lockett just refusing to get yes. hit? Yes. Because it's gone, it's gone around. That's how you preserve that's your how, career. That's how you miss <laughs> one game. And I believe exactly. the game he missed was like in the second year of his career or something. Like it, it was, yeah. it was, and is he going to fall off a little bit? Maybe. He's 30 years old very well, but the, I do not think he's going to fall off to the point where he's going to be wide receiver 33 behind a guy like JSN. But if yeah. Metcalf or... Lockett goes down, oh, JSN's great, which is why I think he's such a good best ball pick. But in terms of, you know, redraft, I am not super interested in him this year. And and then I guess in terms of Metcalf, what what really can you say? You know, this is an alpha wide receiver. He had great rapport with Geno. Uh, he stays on the field. What what what, what is his? He's a, he's wide wide receiver wide receiver fifteen. That about nails it on the head. He's a if you have him as your wide receiver too, that is solid as hell. 
And DK Metcalf, interestingly enough, uh, a guy who could be due for some touchdown regression in a positive way this year as well. 2020, he had, well, I'll go, I guess I'll start it at the beginning of his career since he's played every game each of his seasons. Uh, rookie year, seven, seven touchdowns. 2020, 10 touchdowns, 2021, 12 touchdowns, and then 2022 back down to six. So he, he's been, he was steadily going up before he fell back down to six and ironically fell back down to six with maybe some of the best quarterback play he's had. I mean, obviously he had Russ when Russ was actually good, but Gino was, was Gino playing dotting, well though. Gino was dotting some people up that last year. So the fact he only came away with six touchdowns is a little surprising. Um, there may be positive touchdown regression, regardless of if Gino himself takes a step back. That's just you know, statistics and kind of the randomness of it. Uh, we'll have to see. But DK is another guy that I mentioned with George Kittle. It's like sometimes it really is as simple as this is that guy's year to get a little luckier and show that his talent can translate to a large amount of fantasy points. So Metcalf may be another guy who's not slipping through the cracks, but is less of a talked about wide receiver one candidate. Um, tight end, Pat, nothing really to speak of here. We got Noah nope. Fant, tight end 32. He exists. I don't care. Don't. Don't bother. Uh, the L.A. Rams, we've got Matthew Stafford, QB 20. I don't care. I, <laughs> I, you know, I care a little. I think this is not a guy that you're going to, again, entrust your quarterback position to because it's just very nerve-wracking to do so. But I think people forget that Matthew Stafford really was an injury Iron Man up until this point. It's like he got one injury and they're writing him off. I understand the severity of the injury. I think it's the, the severity, yeah. It's the severity, 100%. Look, spinal cord injury is a terrifying thing to read. But if he is... He's fully healthy right now. He's ready to start the year. I mean, I I don't have a reason to believe that he's going to be a shell of his former self unless there's something we don't know. Interestingly enough, not to speak out of both sides of my mouth, but hearing that they were aggressively trying to trade him, um, a, a report came out the other day. If that's true, then I don't really know what to think because maybe they don't think he has it anymore. But I'm, as of right now, operating that he can be still a decent quarterback and, uh, you know, at the very least a bye week feeling. But I, it's just a guy that whether he ends up a starter for your fantasy team or not, I don't know. But a guy that I could see blowing his QB 20, you know, position out of the water. He could be QB 11, QB 10, and I wouldn't be shocked at all. It's not at the point where I'm actively concerned about his weapons, whatever weapons he has, but... Uh, it's he's it's basically taking him off my radar because again, thirty five years old in a very very severe injury that threatened his career, and he didn't look good before then. You know, maybe the injury was kind of affecting that, but he didn't look good last year. And this, the Rams are a weird team where it's like I think their ceiling is like last wild card, but then their floor is top ten worst pick that the they league. don't have, <laughs> like, a yeah, pick that they don't even have. The right, right. So like. I, I don't know, but St- Stafford himself is a guy that I have put almost no thought into. But again, no. not to the point where I'm writing the whole Rams off. Well, I'm writing most of them off, but not all of them. The fact that I'm there's going to be a couple guys that I like in that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to big brain myself and be like, oh, I'm going to wait on quarterback and then get Matthew Stafford because I think he's going to go back to what he used to do. Just uh, a dose of reality that, look, this guy was a really good fantasy quarterback for a long time and... Yeah, maybe one injury is going to end it all, but I just am not ready to write him off completely yet. He's not old enough. Uh, this team is not going full tank mode, for better or for worse. So yeah. I think there may still be something left, and I would not be surprised if he sheds the QB20 tag pretty easily, but still may not earn him a spot in your lineup week to week. Uh, this backfield, Pat, at the end of the day, is going to look the same as it did last year. They ended up, you know, 
reconciling with Cam Akers, and they brought back Sony Michelle as of recently. Uh, Ew. Cam Akers, RB21, Sony Michelle, RB100. Uh, whatever the other backs are, uh, Kieran Williams and Zach Evans, I believe, they both have underdog ADPs higher than Michelle, but the Rams depth chart suggests Michelle is going to be second, and that's, I feel like, probably the case. Either way, you're probably not investing in the backup running back on the Rams, so who cares? Yeah. It's just a matter of if you want to handcuff, it I is- guess. It is unbelievably telling because I remember when we started, you know, when our first few shows, we were talking about teams that were going to draft running backs and it was Rams, 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 Rams. And then they didn't. And then they didn't bring in anyone worthwhile in the offseason, which is incredibly telling that Cam Akers is going to be a legitimate workhorse back on a. in a in a Sean McVay offense, granted one that was not good last year, but like you said, Stafford could be decent and a couple be healthy. That offense should be better. And we're talking about a workhorse running back and that kind of thing. And, and what a renaissance. Like, this was a guy who was cut, basically. Like, they're talking about the trade yeah. line. They're going to cut him. And they go from that to being like, not only are we going to cut you, we are going to run the offense through you. Yeah. you know, he, he had 19 or more carries in the last three weeks. And he produced 19 for 123, 23 for 118, and three touchdowns. That was the mm-hmm. Christmas Day game. Uh, the the massacre, and then twenty one for one hundred four. Like he, not only was he getting the touches, he was making do of them. It wasn't like a case of like, oh, this guy was, you know, just a, a thing of volume. No, like he was getting it done. And I believe RB twenty one, low end RB two. I think that is phenomenal value for Cam Akers. Yeah. I mean, he's now on a team with no reasonable competition in the backfield, and that is sort of devoid of weapons other than Cooper Cup. I mean, there's no spectacular talent here anywhere else. Robert Woods is gone. Odell Beckham Jr. is long gone. Like, this is potentially the Cam Akers show outside of Cooper Cup. And if you think the Rams offense can bounce back to any semblance of what it was in the Super Bowl year, I mean, even 75% of it, then there's going to be a lot of touchdown opportunity here for Cam Akers. And again, yeah, at at RB21, that is insane value. Um, I I totally agree. I think he's a guy that a lot of people wrote off maybe a little bit too early. Um, Pat, Cooper Cup, though, the star of the show, the star of this team, I think, I mean, look, wide receiver three shows that a lot of people agree he's got plenty left in the tank. I think he's got at least one or two more elite years ahead of him. Regardless of if Stafford even stays healthy, it really doesn't matter because of how they deploy Cooper Cup. Obviously, it's better if he stays healthy, but he's just a guy that is going to command so many targets. Like, he's playing alongside Van Jefferson and... Ben Skoranek. Great, great his, his value understudy. Cooper Cup, Ben Skoranek. Like, yeah. he's a guy, he's just as safe as they come, especially in a PPR. League. I was going to so say, I'm he might in. have the best floor out of anybody yeah, in fantasy totally. football. And, you know, I was about to say, I might prefer Tyree Kill over him. Like, I might put Cup in my wide receiver four, but that's more for Hill's ceiling rather than, sure. you know. But, like, the joke is that, like, him and Matthew Stafford are, like, lovers or something. But, like, mm-hmm. Matthew Stafford, there has, club. you know, th- that connection has been unbelievable you know, in the last few years. And if Stafford gets back, and whether or not he's back to form health, he's going to be dumping the ball off to Cup all the time. Yeah, in the red zone, matter. everywhere. He is a, you like, yeah, I think he's just one of the most reliable guys. And if you're in PPR and he gets drafted third overall, that is very justified. 
Yeah, hundred um, percent. The other receivers, I mean, I'm just not interested. Truthfully, I'm, I'm just not that into you, Van Jefferson and Ben Skoranek. I'm sorry, Ben Skoranek coming in at a hot wide receiver 152 for a guy who's listed as a starter on an NFL team. That's kind of wild. In Van Jefferson, every year it's like, oh yeah, Van Jefferson. Oh Van Jefferson. Even last year, like he missed some games, and then he comes back. Oh Van Jefferson, Van Jefferson. Mm-hmm. I picked him up in a bunch of leagues, and he yeah. was dropped within the next it's two or never... three weeks. This is this is a younger guy who is just never. Never lived up to that. Granted, he hasn't had huge hype, but there's always been Van Jefferson. There's always hype. been rumblings, no, and, and, and it just been. never pays off. So, I I don't care. I, I care a little bit about Tyler Higby just because you've all we've also seen the rapport with Matthew Stafford there as well. In you know tight end, always a tough position. He's going at tight end fifteen. That's very fair. You know, if you're kind of punting tight end and going at the end and taking two guys, I think Tyler Higby's a very fair guy to take there. But I don't think he's going to be the slam dunk top 10 guy that he was, you know, two, two or three years ago. Tyler Higby, very unexciting talent. But again, they refuse to put much other talent on the Rams. So it's like he's always earmarked for a decent amount. Uh, And the fact that Akers doesn't catch the ball a ton, too. Higby is the number two target on that offense, which is crazy. And it's going to stay that way, most likely. Exactly. Let's go to the best team in this division, Pat. The Let's Arizona go. Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals, who are just a absolute dumpster fire. Uh, Pat, <laughs> this is how little I care about them. I forgot to put the ADPs next to all their names, so I have it up here on my phone. I, I was going to say, I, I wrote them down myself. Yeah. I, it was like I saw right before showtime. I'm like, yeah. oh, shit. Kyler Not that Murray. it matters. Not that it no. matters. There's a, a couple guys where it matters, I think. Kyler Murray, QB 22, Jeff Driscoll, QB 41, Colt McCoy, QB 50. I mean, I don't know who's going to be starting the year because it's probably not Kyler Murray. Um, But if they're starting for your fantasy team, I need you to get therapy. So we're not even going to talk about the quarterback, really. And I don't think Kyler Murray is a guy that with how bad the supporting cast is going to be, that is he's worth stashing. Um, Just not. No. To me, worth it. So he's a guy worth away. stashing, you know, in the middle of the year as it gets closer to yeah, his possible up, return. Sure, but you are, you should not draft got. Kyler Murray in a no, in a he, redraft. He's, he's not high upside enough, you know, with this injury to burn yeah. a, a bench spot. Assuming you have a regular size bench of like seven players. Um, Pat, the one guy we've talked about this guy in the past as well that is getting egregious amounts of hype because of just the projected workload is James Conner, uh, Keontae Ingram being the only other running back in this backfield. So Conner is currently RB27, Keontae Ingram RB74, so a far cry from where Conner is. Uh, I just don't like the talent. I understand the volume is going to be there. I just, I'm not excited about a, a... a not very dynamic running back on the worst team in football. You can you exactly. will not convince me to draft James. And what, and what right we now. had a com we had a comment a few weeks ago saying that like we called him uninspiring and they're like, oh, he survived cancer. He's the most okay. inspiring running take back. Take it, like, take it more like, literal. We're not Jesus. talking about that. We're my guy. We're talking about fantasy His football. Play. <clears throat> and I think that's the thing. He is just so blase in terms of the talent and in terms of the injury pass, but volume is volume. And if he is going to truly get the volume, there is no threat to him in that backfield. If he stays healthy, he is going to be a solid RB2. And I said it about Elijah Mitchell. I think it's even more so the case with James Conner. If you punt running back, James Conner is one of the perfect guys you can get in in that running back dead zone. But on his own, am I going to be looking to draft him? No. No, I'm not. I just feel the same way about James Conner as I did about Leonard Fournette last year. And look, to Leonard Fournette's credit, he rumbled his way to some decent fantasy he was finishes okay. at times. But it was like... 
there was all this hype about Fournette because it was still a Brady offense and it was only a rookie Rashad White being brought in and all this stuff. They're like, it's still going to be Fournette's backfield. And even if White takes some, he'll still be good. I'm just at a point where I, I don't buy the talent this late in his career. And I don't think I'm, I'm not going to have a good time rooting for James Conner to get more than two yards past the line of scrimmage when he's going to do it maybe twice a game. Like I just, it's yeah, not maybe. a player I'm interested in. And again, you talked about it before though, in our non PBR league touchdowns are King. And I mean, if they ever get into the red zone, are you they going to get over the 50 Pat? Like, see, are that, they that's ever? my concern too, is that they are going to be losing a lot and he does not have much pass catching upside. Yeah. So again, if you really punt running back, he's a guy that's got a nice floor that low down. But game, I I, just, I, I don't I don't love it. I, I it's it would be one of those picks where it's a gross one, but it's it's a fair one to pick him at what we're running RB twenty seven. RB twenty seven. I know he's, that's he's that's low. a very fair. Honestly, yeah, that's a high end flex, low end RB two. That is very fair. It's not yeah, gr- it, it's not good to look at, but it is fair. I get it, but also gross. Uh, in a similar vein, in a similar vein, there's a guy that I'm kind of interested in to an extent because the game script will be more in his favor, and that's Marquise Brown. With DeAndre Absolutely. Hopkins gone, um, this is the only receiver with a, a true track record. I mean, you've got Rondale Moore, you've got Greg Dortch, who have been good at times, have had their moments, but Marquise Brown is the guy who's you know this passing attack as feeble as it's going to be is going to run through Marquise Brown and they're going to be losing a lot like this is going to be a guy who's probably going to command I mean 12 targets a lot of the time so and he was playing really well last year before he got hurt granted Kyler under center but he was playing really well before he got hurt yeah and And the big difference is plays bad but it I mean I don't know so what are they gonna like complete zero passes like no they're they're right there's gonna be it's gonna be him and the biggest difference is that Dorch and Rondell Moore are very small. They are gadget mm-hmm. guys. And Brown is the only kind of established, solid outside receiver. And, again, I'm spoiling basically my whole board for our draft later, but he's another <laughs> guy who I think is, is has great value down low. He is my favorite player on this dreadful, dreadful team. And the funny thing is I think one of the two, we'll call him the, I guess, the, the the slot duo of Moore and Dorch. One of them's going to be something, I think. I yeah. just don't know which one. But at that point, you're taking such that's such a flyer in the late round. Who cares? Throw the dart at one of them. I agree. I, I think Greg Dorch is wide receiver 104. He's a guy that commands so many targets that he just interests me in PPR. It's like a. It's almost like what I was saying about Sterling Shepard with the Giants, where it's like he's just going to get the volume. Like there's no question but yeah he's not even getting drafted right he's he's going his adp 250 i believe that's not a draft two two fit 215.4 i think it's maybe very very 16 times 12 do math patrick you can do math you got it you got it it's not he's not getting drafted yeah that's not drafting that's not drafted (laughs) no so it's it's interesting value um and then Zach Ertz, Pat, this tight end situation is interesting because I saw Zach Ertz get labeled as a potential surprise cut candidate, which logically, you know, a vet like that on a team that's going to be this bad, I would understand it. So he's not a guy I'm targeting right now because, again, Cardinals are going to be bad and he's kind of washed up himself. But Trey McBride could be interesting if he ends up being the starter. I was going to say, you know, we actually, it's funny, we're talking, we're also we're also in a startup dynasty league this year, and I think he's a great startup dynasty pick. Yeah. Um, he, they, again, they went, you know, he was the highest drafted tight end last year, and then they brought in nobody this year. Right. And, you know, Ertz is hurt. He's old. And, it, again, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a guy on the radar, 
But it wouldn't shock me if it does. But I think within the next year or two, I think he's going to be a guy who's firmly on the fantasy radar. I agree. So watch out for if Zach Ertz does get cut. I mean, this is these are answers we will have, uh, you know, before week one, before the biggest fantasy draft, you know, sort of weekend of the year, which is Labor Day weekend, also when our draft is. So there's some things we still need answers for. What we don't need an answer for is just how bad the Cardinals are going to be. So there's not a ton to invest in here. But no. that's that's the situation we're in. All right, Pat, let's get into our sleeper draft. So this is it. just our I, favorite. I will preface. Yeah. I'm not looking at this as a sleeper draft. I'm looking at this as an undervalued draft because there are guys here no, who are fair. V- very established names. Like these, I have a couple deep, deep sleepers, but yeah. these are mostly guys who are, you know, guys that we talked about that right. are just going below what I believe their value to be. So people are going to be like, oh, those guys aren't sleepers. Oh, we'll talk to you guys about the movie movie <laughs> draft feedback after this, but I don't want to hear the, oh, these the guys aren't draft. sleepers. They're, uh, I don't, that's that's not what I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing no. undervalued players. Draft of and you are first, undervalued Brandon. players. I am first. All right, Pat, full disclosure, I've barely looked at this. I am just going off of the vibes, truthfully. Um, so I'm going to look at these players and figure out who, because I mean, you know, I've been doing mocks. I'm, I'm educated here. I know what I'm doing. So, you know what? Um, I want to say Anthony Richardson, but I'm also not that dense to where I'm going to do that just yet. I actually got talked out of Anthony Richardson. I talked myself out of him in the Scott Fishbowl because I was worried that he just might not start the year. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know if Gardner Minshew is going to be out there. But um, first pick, Pat, I'm going to go with Christian Watson. I'm going to take Christian Watson on the green. Oh, you Packers. scared the hell out of me. <laughs> Really? You're going with someone named Christian? Christian? Yes, I am. (laughs) Yes, I am. I'm going. I'm going with Christian Watson. Um, This is a guy that I think there's there's a lot of question marks around, and rightfully so because of the quarterback change. But I just think there is no other real competition in this wide receiver room. I mean, Romeo Dobbs does not concern me. The two tight ends they just drafted don't concern me, and he burst onto the scene last year uh, with so many touchdowns and just huge games that I think this is a guy that. You know, as wide receiver twenty, um, he's had he had target numbers that were on par with like some of the elite elite wide receivers of the NFL, and I don't see that changing. If Jordan Love, look, Aaron Rodgers had a very down year last year. Like, it's not going to take a lot statistically for Jordan Love to match Aaron Rodgers' output. It was, I believe, twenty six touchdowns. I mean, yeah. that's something that's something Jordan Love can absolutely do. So I'm not expecting much of a drop off in statistical quarterback play from Jordan Love, even if things aren't as good as they hope they are. Um, I'll take Christian Watson first. Yeah, and I guess I spoiled it, but I will be taking Christian Kirk with my first pick. Ah, I am okay. baffled. I am baffled by his um, by, by his ADP. He's going as wide receiver 27 at 49.2. We were talking a, about a borderline wide receiver one last year, and mm. the narrative that Calvin Ridley is going to come in and be the alpha in that offense just baffles me. He has been out of football for almost two, two whole years, excuse me, two whole years, and Kirk was a guy who clearly has the rapport with Lawrence. Doug Peterson loves him. They feed him the ball, and I still think he is, and not even just at value. Like, if I have Mm -hmm. to pick between them at any point in my draft, I am picking Christian Kirk before Calvin Ridley, and this is, again, an offense that's going to be pretty good. Yeah, I I totally understand that. Um, I think the Calvin Ridley thing is going to spook a lot of people just because of what we expect him to do, you know, around the red zone and just being that weapon that they really and invested it's a name. in at the deadline. And it's name and it's, value. It's a name. Yeah. But that name value is the kind of thing that can, you know, 
suppress the value of other guys like Christian Kirk who actually end up performing. Um, so I like that pick. I'm going to try and go running back here. I want to see. Yeah, I'm going to try to touch all four positions here. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to do it, but I don't. I don't know if I'm going to either. But I'm going to go with God. The 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 like devil on my shoulder is telling me to say Jameer Gibbs, but I'm not sure if I should. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with David Montgomery. I'm going to stick in the same backfield. It's a good um, one. I, I think David Montgomery is a guy that when we talked about the NFC North, um, I talked up quite a bit. And another guy that, you know, when you're in a 12-team league or deeper, this is a guy you're not going to be upset to put in your flex spot. It's a guy who's going to take a good amount of that red zone work and those touchdowns from Jameer Gibbs. I like Jameer Gibbs on his own because I think they're going to use him in a uh, – you know, a variety of roles. And I think in PPR leagues that that value is going to get returned. But Montgomery is a guy that I think maybe a little more off the radar than he should be because of them drafting Jameer Gibbs. But they threw some money at Montgomery. They have a really good offensive line and an up and coming team as a whole. I'm going David Montgomery. here. Yeah, that's a good one because we've definitely seen that they will go to running backs. And I think you're right about yeah. Gibbs's value as well, because outside of Amon Ra, they don't have a ton of established targets. So no. I, yeah, that's a good pick on Montgomery. And that's going to be a backfield where they're both going to do a lot. All right, we're going to go back to someone that we just talked about. I am going to go Tyler Lockett here with my um <clears throat> my second Lockett, pick. I think Lockett, the fact, so just similar to Kirk, I just think the fact that he's even down this low to even be considered a sleeper is crazy. He's yeah. durable. He, he produces. Granted, he's aging, but he's just a very established guy, and whether it's Smith or whether something happens and it's Drew Locke, I think he's about as reliable as it comes at wide receiver 33. Give me all of Tyler Lockett. I am also going to go with a receiver. Um, I think he might be right around where Lockett is. So, okay, he's a little bit above Lockett uh, by just three spots. Pat, I'm going to go with Deontay Johnson. You want to talk about... You want to talk about touchdown regression. How about regressing upwards from zero? How's that sound? Yeah. Does that sound likely? I think that's pretty likely. Um, I did see a funny like Reddit comment. It was like... Uh, truly elite wide receivers you know find their way into the end zone no matter what i'm like julio jones had several years of like three touchdowns and stop that's not a hall of fame works. yeah hall of famer that couldn't find I mean, the end zone yeah I'm, I'm going deontay johnson i'm projecting a step forward for basically the entire steelers offense and deontay johnson being the volume guy there i mean look i've talked up george pickens i'm still i've gone back and forth now since our our afc north episode of which yeah. of the two I, I prefer but i do love pickens but i think johnson's going to be yeah, a guy I am that fir- i am firmly i was then and I am now firmly yeah. team Deontay. And I, and I understand that. I think Johnson's going to smash that wide receiver 30 value. I mean, this is a guy I, that was pushing for wide receiver one status not long ago. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, with my third pick here, I am going to go with Tua Tagovailoa. Okay. He is going at, um, he is QB, QB 10, uh, 91. I, I get the injury concern. I think that's just the big thing is that this man is one hit to the head away from literally being scrambled eggs. Mm-hmm. But he was electric last year at the beginning of the year with that wide receiver duo, possibly the best wide receiver tandem in the league in a high-flying offense. If he stays healthy, I think he will smash wide receiver 10. I think he will be right up there with um, with you know Burrow and Herbert and Lawrence as these – at the top of the non-rushing echelon. Um, I, I get the apprehension, and he's still going as a starter as he should, but I think the ceiling is crazy for Tua. 
Yeah, I mean, when you have those kinds of weapons, I, I made the joke, like, it could be a jugs machine throwing to those guys. And if you could get <laughs> fantasy points from the jugs machine, it's probably going it's, to it's gonna be startable if it's throwing to Jalen Waddle and uh, Tyreek Hill. So I get that. Um, I want to touch on the tight end position here, but I'm unsure with whom to do it. There's a lot of solid values here. Uh, do I want to go Detroit Lion again? Because I could with our boy, Your boy. Sam Laporta. Your boy. He is my boy. Um, I don't want to really go with another lion. I feel like that's too much. I'm going to go. All right. I'm going to get a piece of an offense that I'm hoping does not upset me as much as it did last year. I'm going to go with a Denver Bronco and I'm going to go with Greg Dulcich. I think well, another one Greg, Greg, the leg with the hair. I mean, he was one of the only bright spots for anybody who was actually still paying attention to the Broncos in the second half of last year. When he came off of IR, he was one of the only guys you know, sort of producing to a level that you could respect. I mean, Cortland Sutton was a bum. The running backs were bums. Jerry Judy got Judy, Jerry Judy a had a nice bit. end of the year. Jerry Judy, but. I think, will have a nice season this year, but he's not nearly as undervalued as I think a guy like Greg Dulcich at tight end 13. Sean Payton has a history of making these tight ends work yep. and putting them in, in positions to succeed. And with le- the lack of weapons on the rest of that depth chart, uh, you know, there's no Taysom Hill in Denver. So yeah. some other guys are going to have to get those kind of Sean Payton creative touches. And I'm not saying Greg Dulcich is going to be playing any quarterback but just uh somebody's gonna have to get those high value touches i think greg dulcich is as good a candidate as any considering Cortland Sutton. my hopes for him are just kind of in the toilet at this point he had a dulcich had a really nice target floor at the end of the year last year i think he's uh, i think he'll finish the year as a tight end one as well all right well since you took tight end i'm not gonna go tight end running back see receivers my list of receivers was long but my Mm. receiver my list of running backs was not so i'll go with a guy that we have talked about a lot i will go jarek mckinnon I, I was just looking at his name. I'm literally – I'm putting together my basic my big board like right now, and yeah. I was like, oh, I'm probably going to take McKinnon next. Nope. Good yeah. pick. RB43 at 128 is insane, even even with Isaiah yeah. Pacheco. Isaiah Pacheco is has standalone value. We saw what Mahomes leaned on McKinnon in terms of pass catching, and that is a role in the Andy Reid offense. There is a you know early down back and a goal line back, and there is a receiving back. But it's also the point where McKinnon was scoring touchdowns. And it's also at the point where if something happens to Isaiah Pacheco, I think he could become the every down back. Do they do it? No. But Mm -hmm. he probably could. But with that value and what we've seen in that offense with what he can do in there, going that late is just bonkers to me. And I think think out of all the guys I've listed, I think he's the guy that's going to shoot up boards. Yeah, again, another guy who, you know, these underdog ADPs are accumulations of drafts that have been done since basically since last season ended. Um, So he's a guy that people are still having to react to being re-signed by the Chiefs because it didn't happen all that long ago. We went a few months without him uh, having a home. Now that we know he's back in a place where he's been productive, it will probably go up, but I think he'll be a value no matter when or where that ADP settles. Uh, Pat, I'm going to finish mine out with a quarterback, and I am going to double up on a team here. I'm going to go with Kenny Pickett. Um, Hmm. I think Kenny Pickett is the most likely of the quarterbacks in that range to end up a potentially consistent starter. A lot of people think that, you know, there's going to be steps forward taken for George Pickens, for Pat Fryermuth. These are young talents. And then you've got Deontay Johnson, who is a heavily targeted, you know, relatively safe um, player to target. And somebody has to be throwing them the ball. And it's a case with like, with Tua last year, everyone was like, okay, if you're projecting Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle to have big years, that you have to project Tua to have a big year. That's just yeah. how that works. Unless he's going to throw, you know, seven picks a game on top of the touchdowns he's throwing to those two guys. Exactly. Something has to happen. 
I think Kenny is going to take a that second year leap, or even if it's not a leap, at least a jump to be a QB1 level player. So I'm going to go with him. I would not be surprised to see him starting for fantasy teams uh, a few weeks into the season. He's got the, got the rushing upside as well. Yeah, I, I like that one. As we always do, I will uh, kind of go through some of the bottom of my board here that I'm not. We talked about Elijah Mitchell. We talked about Hollywood Brown. I just like the other guys better. Uh, I've mentioned Jahan Dotson a couple of times. I really like his Almost value. Uh, Alan Lazard, that's a uh, Aaron Rodgers loves him in the red zone. Granted, he's yeah. not the top target there, but he is going to catch some touchdowns. And what he's wide receiver, wide receiver fifty-one, great yeah. value. And then the one deep, deep sleeper I'm going to mention here is my arch nemesis, Rashid, yeah, Rashid Shahid. Um, mm. The talent's there. We know that the talent's there. He's an explosive player, and you know Derek Carr can throw the ball deep. That's one of the only things Derek Carr can do. Mm-hmm. Not to say that it's a, it's a sure thing, but I, if you're going to take a flyer that late, I love taking a flyer on Rashid Shahid. But I will actually take his teammate, Jawan Johnson, here with my last pick. Really? Very interesting. Not only is he a guy that is a beast in the red zone, I think we've yet to see what he can do outside of the red zone. And Derek Carr loves tight ends. We've seen him bring, you know, bring Darren Waller back from the dead, basically. And I'm not worried about Foster Moreau. I love Foster Moreau, especially, you know, after, you know, beating cancer already. Rooting for the guy. Former Raider, I'm rooting hard for the guy. I'm not worried about Foster Moreau because he's been okay when he's filled in. But Jawan Johnson clearly has the upside. He has clearly higher potential. And going that low, I believe tight tight end 19, tight end 21. Like, this guy's Mm -hmm. barely a tight end, too. I think he is, at the minimum, a frequent bi-week fill-in. Yeah, I I would agree with you completely. I think that depth chart does worry me slightly. I mean, considering Carr has the history with Moreau, but Johnson's a guy, again, you just hope that and assume that talent will prevail, right? He's he's just a better player than Foster Moreau, as we've seen it. Um, And as long as Taysom Hill's not vulturing too many touches at literally every position on the field, then maybe we can try and predict what the Saints offense is going to do. But I do love Juwan Johnson as a player. All right, Pat's final five. We've got Christian Kirk, Tyler Lockett, Tua Tagovailoa, Jarek McKinnon, and Juwan Johnson. And I've put together Christian Watson, David Montgomery, Deontay Johnson, Greg Dulcich, and Kenny Pickett. These are the 10 greatest sleepers in fantasy football history, or at least that's what I'm going to stand by. I like all um, I like all five of your guys, too. I, th- I think we yeah. got a um, I think we got a good list here, apparently, as opposed to last week, folks. Um, yeah, so last we, we week... We got to address this before, before we get to the viewer questions here. <laughs> I didn't even put up a poll as to who won the sports movies draft, Pat, because I knew how heinous it would be, and... First of all, you were going to smoke me. I know oh, uh, yeah. Because there was too many people who disagreed with my high school musical take. Um, I, I will say I posted a, a separate poll, though, of is high school musical a sports movie? And while it did get, I think it was 78% no, maybe 72. Really? Um, I still got 22 to 28% of people to say yes, which as a, I hate referring to myself as this because I think it's so cheesy, but... This is the first evil deed I've done as an influencer because if I can convince this many people that High School Musical is a sports movie, which I do still sort of believe. I mean, um, if we're going to get technical, job. then yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it's not. I, I've, I've done my job, so I'm happy with how I played out. You won the draft. You've won two drafts in a row, so I need to post this one and hope that people like my sleepers better than yours. Yeah, I'll post it anonymously hot, like last time. The, the thing that got, that got me was just all the comments like, oh, you forgot these 13 movies. We forgot it's like, every movie. My brother in Christ, I had five picks. I, like, know. I know. Like, I am upset that I omitted dodgeball. I, I don't know what I would have replaced it with because I, maybe Talladega Nights, but I, I wanted to go with my NASCAR brethren there. But yeah. 
also there are a lot of these movies that I haven't seen. And I yeah. love comedies. Like I think all five of the picks I made were like justified. I don't think there was any what the fuck picks, but like sure there were no. better movies. I could have picked Rudy or Remember the Titans or The Miracle or whatever, but I, I don't know. But I, I it, this has been a fun week looking at the comments. I've had people who have never mentioned the podcast to me before reach out about it, and it's just like <laughs> they're like what? And it, it, it was fun. It was fun. There. We got we got to think of more things that we're grossly undereducated about to yeah. uh, to do more drafts. We need to do like best types of fish i don't know if you're a big seafood guy but that's uh, yeah i don't know for me so i don't know we'll think of some goofy stuff you guys send us recommendations as well because uh we're you know we could use the help but uh yeah we're not movie guys that much is clear um we will finish out today with our viewer questions as we always do this question coming from drew fane he says thoughts on stacking quarterback and wide receiver in redraft too much of a risk on one team question mark <laughs> to me it depends on the team, obviously. Um, last year, you know, if you stacked Russell Wilson and Cortland Sutton, you were depressed. Um, and that was something that... I almost I, did. I was so I, close. I almost did, too. Like, there was... If I didn't end up, you know... It was almost an impulse pick of Jalen Hurts in our league last year. Uh, Russell Wilson... My quarterback targets were basically Russell Wilson and Trey Lance, neither of whom would have been oh dear. fruitful picks. So I took yeah. Sutton, and I was ready for it. And somebody... I don't think... I don't know if anyone cucked me or if I just kind of was like, ah, oh, wait around and see, and then yeah. it didn't happen. But thank God. God. Yeah. But yeah, you, you you've basically got to know it's like a sure thing. Mm. Like would I stack Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase? Hell yeah. Sure. Would I stack Tua and Tyreek Hill? Hell yeah. Hurts and AJ Brown. Yes. Mahomes and Kelsey? Kelsey. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> I guess basically. Like, but any of those top quarterbacks, I would absolutely stack them. But when you're kind of getting to the back end of that QB territory, that's when I'm a little more cautious because you're going to have situations like Russell Wilson. Like, am I stacking? I'm trying to think who's a good low end, a good low end quarterback to do this with. I, I don't even know. I was I mean, going to say Kirk could, Cousins, you could, but you could but, stack like Dak and CD. Or see, something like, like yeah, that. see, that's I mean, where I get scared. Yeah, like, that's the, that's where I'm starting to get a little get a little uneasy about it. Like Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson, like. Eh. It's like I think that pa- I think that Jets. Well, I mean, I'm basically Packers offense. I think that Jets offense is going to be pretty good. But it's like again, there's so many moving parts of just yeah. having so many new guys on a team that it's not a sure thing. And so taking more than one investment in that team can be risky. Um, in general, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, most of the stacks you're going to have are stacks that you can be pretty confident in. But I, I don't think. Uh, you know, you just have to look at it case by case. I don't think there's yeah. anything inherently wrong with it, but it can be risky. If and I also rarely go into drafts thinking I'm going to stack. Like if I like yeah. if I take a wide receiver and then it's like, oh, can I get the quarterback? Like I'll do that, but I I, I am not uh, an inherent stacker. Our friend Dan is the biggest <laughs> stacker that I've ever seen. So like, but I don't have that same mindset. To me, stacking and and I mean I don't I'm sure there's been studies and research I'm done on the numbers, but like stacking isn't something that is overly efficient I don't think because it's like the weeks where that team underperforms they're going to do bad and the week where that team is really good and you're going to go crazy but I think it all evens out you know if you just take all players from different teams I think stacking is just it's a if in non-best ball of course is just a matter of it's fun like one play can turn your whole week basically is how it goes I mean yeah let's say you get Jefferson and then settle for goddamn Kirk Cousins as your quarterback like you know one 75 yard touchdown is is a lot of points for your fantasy team I'll never forget I think it was I think it was Thanksgiving 2020 or something where Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller just literally ate my ass like it was (laughs) it was like the most one of the most demoralizing fantasy football games in my entire life and yeah so if it works it's great 
but then like you said, if it, if it, it kind of flopped, then you're you're fucked. Yeah, doing it's fun. It's not necessarily good or bad. It's just, you know, it's if you want to do it or not. Um, and the final question, what's one thing that people put on sandwiches that you never understood? Um, mayo. I don't get it. Mayo's just goop. It's just sandwich goop. I'm going to get I'm fucking okay skewered, it. man. I'm about oh, to get fucking no. skewered. I used to be I, I really skewer you. I used to be really anti mayo, but mayo has grown on me slowly. I like more like flavored mayo, like aioli. It's the same thing. Like yeah, flavored I mean, mayos are I'm better, okay but even that, regular I mayo, I, I have grown significantly keep that, keep on that mayo. Keep that Hellman shit away from me. It's just sandwich goop. There's other things that can make it flavorful and moist. What are you about to say? I'm not looking forward to what you're about to say. I'm about to say cheese. Hey, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Cold cheese. If you are eating like a cold sandwich, like an Italian okay. grinder with like unmelted provolone cheese, that is okay. fucking disgusting. But like obviously like grilled cheeses and Philly cheesesteaks, oh of course, but like I have never understood the concept of when you're eating a cold, like a turkey sandwich with like American cheese, like hell, 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 hell no. Like, okay. oh the thought of it just I, gives me the gives me the fucking heebie-jeebies. I don't agree, but I'm more okay with it because if you were just firmly anti-cheese on sandwiches i would have been very concerned oh no uh, no not, i mean not. what is it what is it to you that makes that less uh uh appropriate on a sandwich than just a slice of cold deli meat because i mean they have the same texture if you get the right i, I, I see i don't know i feel i feel like you're eating I mean, if you're cold cheese singles, to me feels like you're eating know. wax it feels like i'm eating wax well, i've stop never eating craft singles well like well that's my thing is that i like that is my by far my most controversial food take is that I am very anti-cheese. Oh, my God. And that's even in general, like, even some melted, like, yeah, that's, like, cheese, and I also don't like peanut butter. That's the other That's the other one that I get a lot of shit for, too. But, um, yeah, yeah exactly. It's a good thing this podcast is about football. It really is, because this, this would be canceled. We talk for anything other than sports for five minutes, and you say some of the most heinous shit I've ever heard in my life. I don't... We need to stay on task here. No but more yes, viewer unmelted, questions about Unmelted else. cheese in general is disgusting, let alone on sandwiches. All right. I'll, I'll let that ride, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Pat's fired. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. We might be back next week. I may be searching for a new co-host, but uh, that'll do it for this episode. For the newly fired Pat Gustafson, I'm Brandon Carney. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>